Would you say that uh, women empowerment and girl empowerment is something that's important to you, Jasmine? Absolutely. Um, I have two girls. I was actually raised by a single teen mom who was a devout feminist. So I've been a feminist my whole life, and it's definitely a big theme and an inspiration for me in my writing. Hey everyone, this is Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. In this episode, I talk with Jasmine A. Sterling, the debut picture book author of A Most Clever Girl, How Jane Austen Discovered Her Voice. It's a biography about the beloved and enduring writer and how she found her unique voice. It's perfect for fans of I Descent and She Persisted, and of course, Jane Austen fans of all ages. Witty and mischievous Jane Austen grew up in a house overflowing with words. As a young girl, she delighted in making her family laugh with tales that poked fun at the popular novels of her time. Stories that featured fragile ladies and ridiculous plots. Before long, Jane was writing her own stories uproariously funny ones, using all the details of her life in a country village as inspiration. In times of joy, Jane's words burst from her pen. But after facing sorrow and loss, she wondered if she'd ever write again. Jane realized her writing would not be truly her own until she found her unique voice. She didn't know it then, but that voice would go on to capture readers' hearts and minds for generations to come. Hello, thank you so much for inviting me here. I am excited to do this interview. I'm Jasmine Sterling, an author living in San Francisco with my husband and two daughters. Before becoming a writer, I was a C-level executive working in education technology companies. So writing is a mid-career change for me. I have two books in the works. Uh, the first, which we're going to be talking about today, is a picture book biography of Jane Austen, which just came out in March. And I also have a history of the women's suffrage movement for young adults, and that's going to be coming out next year. Okay, so we're going to dive right in and talk about A Most Clever Girl, How Jane Austen Discovered Her Voice. And it's gorgeously illustrated by Vesper Stamper. How did you decide that Jane Austen needed to be a theme for a picture book? Well, so when I began this journey, I was interested in writing about Jane Austen because I feel like her public persona is at odds with the real Jane. Um, there are a lot of wonderful film adaptations, but many of them sort of paint Austin as the author of these sweeping dramatic romances. And even her own family, when they wrote about Jane Austen after her death, painted her as sort of this prim, prudish matron. And if you 
learn about the real Jane Austen, what you quickly discover is that she was anything but any of these things. Um, Jane Austen was enormously rebellious as a child. She wrote these incredibly edgy, almost disturbing stories that were super funny to entertain her family when she was 11, 12, 13 years old. And throughout her life, Jane made these really iconoclastic decisions about um, marriage. She refused a wealthy suitor, even though she knew that it was going to mean a lifetime of dependence on male relatives and almost poverty, but she chose it because she didn't love the man. And she also knew that being able to be unmarried would allow her to pursue her writing. So in many ways, she was one of the first career women. She said no to marriage. She said no to a settled life so that she could have this independence. And she pursued her writing, not just because it was her passion, but also because she wanted to be more financially self-sufficient. So I initially began this project because I wanted children and girls and boys to sort of get in touch with this incredible woman in history who was not only a genius, but also really inspiring in terms of her own personality and her rebelliousness. And I felt like that part of the story had been neglected in popular culture. So that was my inspiration for writing the book. Having said that, when I really got into understanding Jane Austen's life story, I was struck by what I learned as an artist about creativity and persistence from looking at her life path. So the book has a little bit of both. We learn about Jane the Rebel, but we also learn about Jane and her struggles as an artist to find her voice. So there's a second set of themes that has emerged in the project, which are really about persisting in one's creative passion to the point of mastery. And so it's a, it's a book that I hope will help children sort of debunk the myth of the genius as being driven by talent and enable them to see that even a genius like Jane Austen had dry spells. She had fits and starts. She experimented. Um, she required a number of things to be creative and to pursue her art. Um, so hopefully the message is one that's inspiring to kids and helps them realize, you know, as they grow up, if they feel like, oh, maybe I'm not talented, maybe I, you know, maybe I don't have what it takes. No, even geniuses like Jane Austen needed to persist over decades to really mature as artists. And so it's, it's, it's an, hopefully an inspiration for kids to keep going, even when, even when they feel like they're not sure if they have anything to say. Absolutely. I definitely took everything you just said. I took that away from the book. You know, it's so wonderful for kids to realize that, you know, there's celebrities, whether they're celebrities, celebrities from the, from the past or current celebrities. Um, but we tend to idolize people and not realize that uh, they're multidimensional and that it takes a lot to master your craft. And it isn't just all fun and games. You know, you have to put in the hard work. And I find often too that, um, 
you know, adversity plays a role in uh, people finding their voice too. And and I picked that up in, in your book that, you know, through Jane's adversity, she actually was able to turn that into finding more about who she is and, and what's in, important to her. And, uh, you know, I just think adversity can be a superpower as well. Absolutely. I mean, the wisdom that comes out of adversity was a key piece for Jane Austen. And she even acknowledged in her letters um, that she loved Pride and Prejudice, but she felt like it was a little too sparkling and a little too light. And you see in her later work with Persuasion and some of the novels that she wrote after she went through this long period of, of not writing and of financial instability, that there's a wisdom and a depth to those works that is not present in the earlier work. Um, and and that's, that is a function of maturity and persisting through adversity. So you've talked a little bit about her letters. And so I wanna talk about that a little bit and, and, and what kind of research you had to do because taking on a historical figure such as Jane Austen, that's a big deal and, and you've done such an incredible job. So I would love to know what kind of research you did and was it her letters that played a big role in, in you crafting your own story here? Yeah, so absolutely. So yeah, one of the things that I think is particularly special about this book among children's books is its liberal use and reliance on primary sources. So I use Austin's letters to describe details of her life in three spreads. So if you see an example in the book, like she noticed how James cut up his turkey with great perseverance, that is not a detail that I invented. I got that from a letter. And not only did I get it from a letter, but I got it from a letter at about that time on the timeline in her story. So when I was initially writing this, I read the letters and I found a letter that was um, that, that had another funny detail in it about uh, a neighbor who who she noticed put a large amount of butter on his bread. And I put that in the in the in that in that spread. But when I look back, I realized that that letter was written when she was in her late 20s. And this part of the timeline was when she was in that early stage under 23 years old. So I discarded that detail, even though it was directly from a primary source, because it wasn't appropriate in that time in that part of the timeline. So just like a, a like sort of a grown-up biographer would, I adhered to a strict timeline. I used um, the letters, I use the juvenilia. So you see on the spread where she's rebelling against the fluff of her day um, with her own writing as an as a adolescent, there are a series of examples on that spread about what she was writing about. Of course, those are all from the juvenilia. So um, I I really relied on primary sources as much as I could when writing the uh, writing the picture book. I also um, uh, another interesting feature of the book is that I I use quotes from Jane Austen's novels to describe Jane Austen's life story. And if you're not an Austen um, a devout and avid Austen fan, um, you might not initially you know notice these, but 
they're they're in italics in the text. So if you're reading the text and you come across italics, you'll know this is a quote from a Jane Austen novel, which is really fun for the Janeites among us who just have the you know so many quips from Austen memorized. And you can turn to the end of the book and see see where all the italicized quotes come from originally. So this is a fun way of getting Austen's voice into the book for young readers uh, without having to sort of slog through, you know, all of Sense and Sensibility to introduce them to Austen. So, you know, every detail in the book is, is taken from, from a, a primary source. And uh, I even, this is, um, this is kind of uh, really geeky, but I even found as I was going through my research that there were discrepancies, of course, in terms of of the sources uh, about what actually happened in Jane Austen's life. So there was there were a number of early sources that said that when Jane Austen got the news that she was to leave Steventon, she fainted. So I had that in an early version of the book. But as I delved more into the primary sources, I discovered that that was a tale that was relayed in a letter by a neighbor to another neighbor. And to me, that didn't pass muster. A lot of historians think she didn't actually faint. It was sort of a, an urban legend even in her day. So I took it out because the last thing I want to do as a biographer for young people is perpetuate misinformation about Jane Austen. Um, so yeah, I took it. I took the whole project very seriously, and I recognized that there are an enormous number of Austen experts and and novices who are super incredibly passionate about this topic and that I needed to tread lightly and get it right while also hopefully having a really distinct narrative of arc through the through the book so that's what I tried to do well I, the back matter is fantastic it's so extensive uh, I am just going to go on the record and say that I have not ever read a Jane Austen novel, and I am so sorry to say that I have watched the movies. <laughs> this is very sad, but I feel like it's uh, it's a confession. Uh, so for me to read all of that back matter was fantastic. And I also, you, you said something about being geeky. So I'm a little bit of a quote geek, and I loved the back matter section that included the quotations. And I really, really enjoyed the um, the letter from Jane to the Prince Regent George Fourth's librarian. I think his name is James Stanier Clark, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I just loved that. I'm going to read the quote. I could not sit seriously down to write a serious roma romance under any other motive than to save my life. And if it were indispensable for me to keep it up and never relax into laughing at myself or other people, I am sure I should be hung before finishing the first chapter. No, I must keep to my own style and go in my own way. And the in, in your story, you've included an abbreviated version of that. And I just loved the message that it sent of sticking to your own style and believing in yourself and staying the path that's true to true to you. And I just loved that. I loved um, I loved that message for young readers and for adults, too. So uh, do you have a favorite quote?
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear that you that you connected with that quote. And I just want to say, don't feel bad about having only seen the adaptations. Uh, the adaptations are a wonderful way to get introduced to Austin. And I want to make sure that I that I mention to parents who are listening that I'm a big advocate for watching adaptations with your children before or after reading a novel including Austin and you know Clueless is an awesome adaptation that of Emma that parents can share with their preteen daughters or teen daughters that will really help them understand the dynamics of the novel. Okay, wait, so, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, yeah. but I, I did not know that Clueless was an adaptation of Emma. I right. Think, I really had no idea. Right, exactly. And so um, so that's part of sort of my job is to sort of help connect the dots here and let parents know that there are a lot of different ways to get into Austin. And the great, the great thing about Austin is that there are so many different ways to get into her. She's everywhere throughout our culture. So it's it's sort of a perfect introduction to English literature and great women in English literature uh, because, you know, we don't have quite as many adaptations of Mary Shelley or, you know, some other, some other great women in, in, in in literary history. So I I just wanted to say that first before we go on to the quote. So I don't have a, I don't have a favorite Jane Austen quote because that would explode my brain to try to select that, but I have a couple of fun ones. One is for what do we live but to make sport for our neighbors and laugh at them in our turn. So I think this really embodies the spirit of Austin and the comedic spirit that is the hallmark of Austin. And that sometimes we do miss a little bit in some of the adaptations. Uh, The new Emma is really comedic. It's really funny. I mean, there's even a nose, her nose starts bleeding. Emma's nose starts bleeding in the middle of a, uh, a proposal scene. And this is maybe not exactly what Austin would do, but it's it's in the spirit of Austin, as is Clueless, I, I think. Um, and then I have another one, which is another quote, which is great for the pandemic. And so I'll read, I'll read that. It's from Pride and Prejudice. It's, do not give way to useless alarm. Though it is right to be prepared for the worst, there is no occasion to look on it as certain. So again, I think this is that um, keep calm and carry on sensibility 100 and, you know, 50 years earlier. Uh, And I I feel, I think that's one of the reasons we love Austin and we love Austin during the pandemic, because there's this lightheartedness and then there's also this composure. Um, So those are two of my favorite Austin quotes. So I am curious, do you have uh, like a favorite highlight from the book or maybe one of Vesper's uh, illustrations? Yes. So having Vesper 
illustrate this project, it was really a dream come true for me. I don't think there is an illustrator living who could have done a more incredible job. Uh, I, I truly believe it is one of the most beautiful picture books I've ever seen. Uh, and that is all Vesper. So I'm just overjoyed that we got her to do this project. And it would be incredibly difficult for me to select a favorite spread. Um, but there are a couple that I want to talk about, both in terms of the story structure and in terms of the art. The first is the spread where we see Jane Austen on stage with Cassandra, and the whole Austen family is putting on performances of London plays in their barn. So I love this spread. And I remember when, when Vesper got the manuscript, she right away um, honed in on this, this scene and knew that she wanted to make it a spread. And we sort of rearranged all of the pagination to make sure that this could be a spread. So she did a wonderful job here. And it's a, it's a delightful scene. It's also really pivotal to the story because basically the first third of the story is about the perfect conditions for creating a, a literary genius. So Jane Austen had this incredible childhood. She was nurtured and encouraged. She was given a room of her own. She was uh, she had this a captive audience every night that she read to and gave her feedback. She even had a, a family who put on productions of full length. London plays in their barn. I mean, what could be better for someone with budding literary talent than this? So the first part of the book is all about these, this incredibly perfect uh, environment for, for nurturing her genius. And then, of course, we, we reach the uh, middle where things start to fall apart. And I want to talk a little bit about this, the, um, the spread where Jane has just gotten the news that her father has died. She's walking out into the snow in Bath and it's dark and the snow is falling and you see the chimneys with their black smoke going up into the air and this is the this is the low the emotional low of the book and Vesper does a beautiful job of bringing us into this scene it's it's like fine art we really we really feel it um so that I love that scene and then um at the end when when Jane has sort of reached her creative peak, there's a spread with many of the heroines from Austen's novels. And this is just so beautiful. You just feel like ju jumping into the spread and, and they're so beautifully outfitted and you really feel the, like it's come to life in, in Technicolor. So those are the three of the spreads that sort of correspond to the, the, the beats of the book. Um, and I have one more comment to make about the illustration, which is that Vesper, when she took this project, went to the UK and visited every single site in the manuscript before she started to sketch. So the, the illustrations that you're seeing here are taken from her experience being there. And she got amazing access to, to many places um, as an illustrator. And so it's just, it's a, tr it's a treasure um, from an illustration perspective. I, I couldn't agree more. I just think the marriage of words and art for your book are, are incredible. I think uh, you both did an outstanding job and the, the, uh, the spread 
in which Jane has just lost her father, you know, in in a kid's book, you know, kids are more resilient and braver than we give them credit for. So powerful when you can deliver something such as a loss or death in such a beautiful way with just minimal words and then that gorgeous double page spread that Vesper created. So I think it's outstanding. Thank you. I think it, it, we we really got lucky with this uh, this with this combination. So yeah, perfect. Well, so let's see. We are going to talk a little bit about what it takes for you in your daily practice. Your mom, you have you're raising two kids. Uh, so what does your daily practice look like to actually? write a book and and you have another book on the way too. So so what what do you do during your days to manage your time and make sure you get some some time to be creative and write and and we also need to mention that you're a beautiful talented photographer as well. Thank you so much. Um yeah, so I the next book that I have coming out is 450 pages. It's a it's a long book. And so if I didn't learn good habits when I was writing a most clever girl, which I think I did, I really definitely did when I was writing We Demand an Equal Voice because We Demand an Equal Voice actually started out as a picture book and the publisher wanted it to be a long book. And I had never written a long book before. I'd never attempted a long manuscript and they wanted it on a pretty short timeline. Uh, I was expecting my second child when I got this information and um, came through my agent and she she said, do you want to take this? And I, I, I just was like, yes, of course I want to take this. So I wrote the book while I had a newborn. I started it when I had a newborn and um, I wrote it that first year of her life. Um, so, I mean, for me, the daily practice as a writer always includes reading. Um, I, I am a, an avid reader. I read every day. If you follow me on Instagram, I've probably DM'd you and asked you either what you're reading or what your favorite book was as a child. And it's not just an icebreaker. I take notes on everything everyone sends me and I use it to build reading lists. I also build reading lists for my writer friends. I'm in a couple of writing groups. So I, I read. Uh, I also, I take as good a care of myself as I can. So that's like hiking, getting good sleep, um, doubling up. So if I have the kids and I have the opportunity, I'll take us all on a hike so that we're together, but we're also getting the exercise in so that when I'm off or they're napping or they're asleep, I can write. And then the third thing that I do um, is I just sit down and work. And I think, um, and I work pretty much every night. I work during naps. Uh, and for me, what sort of inspires me to, to work is just sitting down and working. And I feel like if the other parts of my life are in balance, the writing almost always goes well. So I set up this structure and then I work within it very, you know, take, just sit down and start writing those first few words. And you'd be amazed at how quickly, if you have everything else turned off, turn off your phone, turn off all the instant, you know, all the Instagram and Facebook and social media and all the tabs on your browser and just go. Um, some of these ideas are uh, encapsulated in a book that I, that I love called Making Time. Um, I'm going to pull it off my bookshelf here. 
Um, it's, it's called Making Time, and it's a book written by two Google executives who wrote books and transitioned away from executive life while holding down really big jobs. And they talk about the 90-minute block, which I use a lot. I have this visual timer that goes in 90 minutes. It doesn't make noise, but you can see. And I, to get started, I'll turn that timer on and I'll sit down and I'll consider it a challenge. I, I literally cannot get up for 90 minutes unless it's an emergency. So if you sit down and write for 90 minutes, you're really warmed up. And usually what you find is that you can keep going. So those are some of the things I do. That's, uh, I, I really like that. Just, just kicking yourself in the chair and committing to that, that 90 minutes. Uh, I might have to try that myself. I like that tip. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an incredible thing and, and get the, the visual timer. They have a visual timer that they suggest. Um, which is awesome. So it's Jake Knapp. I don't know if you, you probably don't say the K, Knapp. Jake Knapp. And so it's Jake Knapp and John Zaratsky who wrote this book. And I, I, I love that it's a huge range of tips that you can try for making time for what really matters every day, sort of for these big projects that are easy to push out of our lives and never get to. Yeah, that's great. Well, to be a writer, they say that you need to be a reader first. So was there a pivotal moment in which you considered yourself a reader? I was I was a reader pretty young and a writer pretty young. My mom, uh, as I said, I grew up with a single mom, um, but uh, who was a teen and not even a high school graduate. But she's my mom is an incredible intellectual and a tremendous reader and a poet and a writer herself. So I was very fortunate. And um, when I was three, she encouraged me with a lot of games and poetry. And so, you know, we would write poetry together. I'd write a poem a day to her and she'd write, she, I dictate it to her when I was three and she'd write it down. Um, and she worked at my daycare. So she got to be really involved in my life, even though she was a working mom. Um, and I, so I think her influence was for sure huge. Uh, I learned to read really young before kindergarten when I was probably about four. Um, and I just took off from there and I was reading Charlotte's web and falling in love with Charlotte's web and reading it over and over, you know, in like kindergarten, first grade. Um, so I've, I've always been a, a reader and, my, I do come from a family of artists, visual artists and writers, which I think was very, you know, very helpful for me, obviously having that environment to grow up in. I love that your mom nurtured you, you would read out your poetry and she would write it down for you. And uh, I just think that's such a great way for you, you to have bonded with her, but for her to also just maybe even unknowingly at the time, inspire the inner writer in you. And do, do you know, do you have any of any of the poems that she, uh, that she wrote down for you that, that you dictated to her or are they long gone? So she has some of them. I don't have, she sent me a big box last year of, of some of my schoolwork from when I was in elementary school. And we, we've lost some of the independent projects that I did. So I used to do, uh, I used to write books of poetry and I'd illustrate them and I, they were completely not school related. And I'd, I'd write short stories and other things that weren't for school, but she has I think I kept those myself. And so I don't know if they ever made their way into her hands. Um, but she has all the schoolwork that 
you know, the teachers gave her that I brought home. And so that's been fun to see. And there are some poems in there <laughs> from when I was really, really little. And those are fun to see too. I think one of the cool things about poetry is that you can, um, as a parent, you can sort of take poems or even picture books that are rhyming and remove some of the lines and then have your kids create their own content in those missing lines and then you end up with a really polished result. So I'm not sure if we did that or not, but that is something that parents can do at home that sort of helps their kid get into writing poetry and makes them feel really successful with, you know, a, ba a very minimum investment of time. Yeah, I love that idea. That's great. So is there is there anything else that maybe we haven't covered already that you would love to share with the growing readers listeners? I mean, I just really appreciate being here and I, I so thank you for having me. I would just say I'd love to keep in touch. So if you do buy my book, please go to my website, which is www.jasmineasterling.com and go to the giveaways section because I give away a free downloadable DIY Jane Austen paper doll kit and it's beautiful. It has these incredible Regency outfits. She's got a writing outfit and she's got a fairy costume to wear to a masquerade ball. And um, anyway, I give that away for, for free to everyone who buys the book. So if you go to my website and you, you have to fill out a form and then I can keep in touch with you and I know who you are and I can let you know when my next book comes out and about other free things that I like to give away. I like to give away a lot of stuff. That's one of the things I do on my website. So it's, it's nice to be in touch with you. I'm also on Instagram where I post photos of my kids, as well as a lot of um, sort of what I'm reading now, which is tends to be middle grade novels, but it's, it's, there is a range there too. Some of it's parenting, some of it's adult. Um, but if you like books, and you like kids, please follow me on Instagram. It's fun to stay in touch. I, like I said, I'll probably DM you right away if you follow me and ask you what you what your favorite book was as a child, because I love learning about that. And um, I love having real relationships with people who follow me on there. So keep in touch. Yeah, that's perfect. And I have to say, I think your website is beautiful. And I love, I love following your Instagram account, your, your phot photography and the quotes you share are all incredible. So great job, Jasmine. Uh, so, you know, just to remind everybody, we were talking about a most clever girl, how Jane Austen discovered her voice and it is available now. And then we demand an equal voice. Carrie Chapman Cat and Votes for Women is going to be Jasmine's young adult book, uh, which will come out in 2022. Is that correct, Jasmine? That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You too. I'm so, I'm so grateful and um, so excited about this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. The Growing Readers podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other app you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. To discover more amazing books for kids, just like Jasmine A. Sterling's A Most Clever Girl, How Jane Austen Discovered Her Voice, I hope you'll visit us 
at thechildrensbrookview.com. 